Well, well, good morning. It's uh, great to be back. For those of you who may not know, um, uh, I've been gone for the last eight weeks or so on sabbatical, and I want to begin by expressing my gratitude to this church family and the church council for the opportunity to do that. It was uh, incredible and and wonderful, and um, I'll be filling you in uh, here and there over the next few weeks or so about uh, some of the things God impressed upon me, some of the things I saw and experienced. But I'll just give you a general overview before we jump into the message for today. I, I bookended the eight weeks with time in Colorado. If you know me, that's not a surprise. Um, I grew up going to Colorado as a kid. I love going out there, hiking, backpacking. There's something very rejuvenating and very refreshing for me when, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hiking or at the top of a mountain or a waterfall or a stream or a lake or something. And uh, just being in God's creation, it just kind of centers me. I, I think that's kind of a, um, how I connect with God in, in a deep way often. So that was just wonderful for me to be able to do. Uh, part of the time in Colorado, I spent at a, a Christian counseling center, which was wonderful. They had some great teaching uh, around kind of the top, some topics that are central to who we are in Christ, our identity and things of that nature. Uh, they helped me kind of think through. I had some time with an individual counselor to kind of process life and ministry and, and process many of the many, some of the many issues that my family and staff say that I have. And I cannot lie. I think I agree with them. I, I think they're right. So that was helpful. Um, I also had the privilege of visiting some of the missionaries that we support as a church, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, I got to spend time with Colin and Connie Christie in, in Turkey. I got to spend some time with Max McClure in the Czech Republic. Max grew up in this church. Uh, his parents, Gary and Millie, are still a part of this church. Of course, Colin has family in the church. His sister Lisa's on staff. His mom's in the church. Tom's in church. So there's a lot of his sons in church. So it's, it was just really neat for me to be able to see them in their, their natural habitat, you know, sort of their, their ministry context and, um, and meet some of the people that they um, are working with and some of the believers they're partnering with and, and just really inspiring and humbling to kind of hear their stories um, and, and see the impact God is, 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 is having through them. It made me really proud to be partnering with them in their ministry. So it was just wonderful for me to do that. So, again, thank you for that opportunity. Um, now, as you can imagine, having been back at the church for a week, there's been a lot of catching up to do, emails and filming in on this and this conversation and that, what happened here. And, um, and uh, I, you know, I'm not surprised. I've heard wonderful news about what happened over the summer. Um, I was not worried at all to leave. I knew that the church would be, in, we have wonderful people and leadership. Um, and so that didn't surprise me at all. But I, I have to say, I did hear a few concerning reports about the staff, Okay. And, and um, apparently while the cat is away, the mice will play. And um, um, and my suspicions were confirmed with some photographic evidence. So take a look at this photo. This is my office. Um, evidently, the ladies just took some time during the day to do their nails. OK, uh, and I found some nail clippings around the office here and there. The smell of uh, Nail polish remover lingers, you know. So, um, anyhow, I'm sure it was during their lunch break. I'm sure it was during. The, uh, I heard the guys did the same thing, but that photo has been destroyed. So, <laughs> but but Wes will not take off his socks around me. I've heard that they might be toenails might be deep purple. So um, I don't know. Um, but I do think they had a little bit too much time on their hands because there are some doctored photos floating around about me, and uh, I, I want to correct some mis. mis- 
uh, wrong ideas you might have about me. So here's the first one. Um, there I am. Uh, it says, if you can't read, it says lost backpacking. Uh, anything helps. Um, that is my face. Uh, and I did have a beard, not quite that shaggy or gray, but I did have a beard. Uh, but I didn't have to resort to begging for food. Um, and this is the most troubling one. Um, I, I, I love K-State people. My family are K-State people. A lot of respect for K-State, but I'm a KU grad. So, um, and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And so I was trying to figure out, and some people came up to me after church and they saw this, this photo my, my wife put on Facebook. So I'll have to deal with her later. But uh, they said, oh, I see you had a tr- dramatic transformation. I'm like, no, not really. Um, but um, I was trying to figure out whose body this is. And so I looked at it. First, you see the long hair. Oh, it's got to be Paul. But, <laughs> but Paul is a Texas guy. He wouldn't wear purple. He wears orange, burnt orange. And then I thought, you know, uh, is it Luke? No, Luke doesn't have a tattoo. I've seen his, his biceps, so there's no tattoo. And could it be Jeff? No, Jeff is a KU guy. Could it be Jim? Jim is too nice to do something like that. So it leaves Wes. So yeah, it leaves Wes. He's, he's a big... Wes is a big K-State guy. And the hair might throw you off, but I've heard stories, legendary stories of his glorious hair in college. So, so anyhow... So you can take that off. Please take it off. Please. It's, it's distracting to me now. So thank you. Thank you. So anyhow, all kidding aside, I was I'm so thankful to the staff. It's great to be back and connect with them. They're great friends. And I know they did wonderful ministry while I was away. My only concern was that you might realize you really don't need me. So um, so it's great to be back. Um, I'm going to start by uh, quoting a few verses that have been meaningful to me over the years, uh, because the topic today, looking at. The worship guide is God's word. Second Timothy, Second Timothy 1, 7, one of the first verses I memorized as a, as a young person. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Or Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast because he because she trusts in you, Lord. Um, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 46.10 God is our refuge and our rock and ever-present help in time of trouble. John 14.6 Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 8 where Paul writes that there is absolutely nothing in all of this world, all this universe that can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. There's many others as well, but these verses and others have been a huge help to me over the years because God's Holy Spirit has brought them to bear and brought them to mind at my life at different periods when I needed them, whether to correct me or convict me, to guide me, to give me wisdom, to, to strengthen me, to encourage me, to, to, to inspire me. At different times, the Holy Spirit has used God's word to, to do all these things and more. And I have found true the promise made in Isaiah 55:11. God's word will not return to him void. It will not return to him empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which he has sent it into our lives. 
So today we're going to be concluding a sermon series that has run throughout the summer talking about our life together. What does it mean to be the body of Christ doing life together? So we've looked at topics like prayer or, or evangelism, sharing our faith or, or discipleship or, 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 or worship or how do we care for each other and love each other and so on and so forth. What does it mean to be a gospel people? And I think it's very fitting that we're concluding this by looking at the place of Scripture in our lives as individuals and as a life as a church. Because really, Scripture is, is to be our foundation, right? Our, our rock. It is to shape our worldview, the things we value, the things we do, the things we say, um, the things we believe. Which is our history as a covenant church, a covenant people. Back in the, um, the mid-19th century, early, late 19th century as well, uh, a, a group of people in northern Europe and Sweden primarily, when they came to the States, they began to ask these questions. Where is it written? We want to be people of the word. Where is it written? I believe this. I do this. I think this. Where is it written? So we want to be people of, who follow in that heritage, that lineage. We want to be people of the word of God, where God's word shapes our worldview, what we think, what we do, what we believe about ourselves, about God, about the world, and so on and so forth. So that's the topic for today. And so we're looking at the idea of what, what is the Bible? What does God want to do in our lives through his word? And we're going to see in the next few minutes that God's intent for giving us his word is to transform us, to change us, to bring us to a place of redemption and salvation. Now, our scripture, uh, there are three of them read. But I'm going to look primarily at the one from Luke 8. And it's known by a couple of different titles. It's known as the parable of the sower or it's known as the parable of the soils. And it's pretty obvious what it's about. It's a parable on God's word or more precisely on hearing God's word and then doing it, applying it, receiving it. It's one that we as, you know, as Kansans in our agricultural settings should understand pretty quickly. But Jesus disciples apparently didn't get it the first time because it says they didn't. They pull Jesus aside and say, tell us what this means. And Jesus gives a very clear explanation in verses 11 through 15. Jesus says people can receive God's word with a soft heart, which we would think of as fertile soil. It takes root. It grows. It lasts. He says people can receive God's word with a hard heart, sort of hard packed soil to kind of hits it and bounces off. He said people can receive God's word with a distracted heart which we would think of maybe weed-infested soil. Things come in and choke it out. And he says they can receive God's word with a fickle heart. They're like, yeah, I'm excited about this. But then eventually it just they move on to something else. So let's dig in. What does Jesus have to say here? Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they cannot believe and be saved. Why does he take it away? He doesn't want people to be saved. He doesn't want them to believe. And he knows that the word of God is instrumental. It's pivotal in people coming to know Jesus Christ because it's the way of salvation, because it transforms lives, it renews minds, it changes hearts. But if we seek to understand God's God's word, it will, it will change us. Now, the crowd that's gathered around Jesus when he first spoke these words, they hear his lips, they see his lips move, they hear the, the voice, his voice come out. 
but they don't get it. They don't understand. They're like the disciples. We don't we don't get what you're saying here. It, it's, it seems to be beyond them. You know, when I was on sabbatical um, between visiting missionaries, uh, a good friend of mine from college days, a great Christian brother, we've known each other since we were 18. Uh, he and his wife were in Geneva for the summer. So he said, you've got to come and stay with us for a few days. So I said, OK, so uh, twist my arm. I'll do that. So I so I was there for a few days. Did a little sightseeing, did some hiking. Uh, but one of the things I thought would be kind of interesting when I researched the area, like, oh, this would be cool. I wanted to go visit CERN. Have you heard of CERN? CERN is the Center for European Research Nuclear Science. Um, and it's, it's also the location of, it's like the center, epicenter of quantum physics in the world. It's where they have this large hadron collider, particle collider. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, this massive collider particle accelerator uh, where... Um, where they they've almost got to the speed of light. They take protons from hydrogen. They force them together using these massive magnets. They cool it off with this liquid, uh, liquid frozen uh, helium. And eventually they keep going. Chambers get bigger and bigger till at the end, the chamber, the final chamber is like almost 16, over 16 miles in circumference. So it's massive and miles long. So this is this would be kind of interesting. You know, I'm, I'm going to go there and because uh, one of the things that happened a few years ago is they got a Nobel Prize. They discovered something called the Higgs boson particle. But in the media, they often refer to it as the God particle, which, of course, they're not real excited about. But, but it's often called the God particle. And the reason it's ca- called that is because uh, they had this theory that there is some sort of invisible energy field that holds everything together. And they discovered it. You know, and they discovered that without this invisible energy field, the universe would just fall apart. It holds everything together. It imbues everything with matter. Without it, we would just dissolve. There would be nothing left. Just, just atoms and protons and electrons just floating around. And they're trying to figure out how does, why does this thing work? It should not work. It's, it's very unstable. Why does it work? And, of course, I think of Colossians 1. Right. Colossians one, where Paul writes to the church in Colossae and he says in Christ, through Christ, everything has been created. Everything holds together. Everything holds together through Jesus Christ. I can I think I know why this is working. It shouldn't work, but I think I know why it does. It's through Christ. Um, Now, they had the scientist. He was walking around. He was explaining everything in a small group. So he asked questions. It was really interesting. And I stuck with him for most of the time, but there were a few parts like, okay, it's over my head. I'm just, my eyes glaze over and, 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 you know, and you just try to hang in there as best you can. It was just beyond my, my education and probably my capability as well. I want to make something clear about God's word. Everybody can understand the basics that are needed to know Jesus Christ. Everybody has the capability of understanding what, who God is, why we're here, what he's created us for. I'm not trying to sound intellectual. That's not it at all. In fact, we are to engage our minds. We need to engage our minds and seek to understand God's word because there are parts that, let's be frank, there are people who have debated and haven't come to agreement on exactly what this means or that means. We're to engage our minds. But, but the ability to understand the word of God and all that's necessary to know Christ and to be saved and to walk in obedience to faith, that is not, that is not dependent upon intellectual capacity. It's dependent upon an open and willing heart. It's, it's dependent upon our will. That's what Jesus seems to be getting at here. 
there's a choice that we need to make, a decision that needs to be made when we come to God's word. Will we receive it humbly and willingly, openly from a position of faith? Or will, because of our pride, will we reject it? That's why two people can sit in a church pew all of their lives, the same church, hear the same sermons, you know, sing the same worship songs, hear the same stuff. And, and, and one person seems to just continually grow in Christ likeness. The other person, there doesn't seem to be much difference in their lives. Not much difference between them and those who don't believe. What's the difference? One person is seeking to understand and apply the word of God. And the other person is not. But if we do choose to understand God's word, it will take root in our heart and we will be changed because that's a promise from God. His word will not return to him void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which he has sent it. Secondly, if you let God's word take root in your life, you'll find the strength and the wisdom to handle your problems. Jesus said this, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, I've been a pastor for several years and I've done dozens, probably north of 200 funerals. And I have to tell you, there's a big difference between being involved with the service for a committed Christian with committed Christian family and families who are not Christian. There's a remarkable difference in the way they deal with death. I've been in hospital rooms where people are battling cancer. Let me tell you, there's a remarkable difference in the way people who come from a faith perspective, a committed faith perspective, and those don't handle illness. I've had friends lose everything financially or go through divorce, had rebellious children, Sickness, loneliness, depression, poverty, failure. And there's a marked difference in the way people who are committed Christians who seek to apply God's word handle those things and those who don't. And I'm not trying to judge or say, or, I mean, people struggle. No matter if you, there are times when Christians struggle. I'm not saying that's not the case. But, but there's a difference because of, of what the work of God's word has done in a person's life. Now, the word of God never promises that we will not have problems. We know that by experience. Jesus himself said it, right? He said, in this world, you're going to have many problems, lots of trouble. Thanks for the good news, you know. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, in the midst of these struggles and problems, you can stand upon my promises and my word. You can trust in my Holy Spirit, rely upon my Holy Spirit. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you through those struggles and those problems. And gets you to the other side. And the more we hear the word of God, the more we know it, the more it takes root in our lives, the better equipped we will be to, to face those problems that are going to come our way sooner or later to all of us. And you, it takes root through repetition, just like any, any skill, through repetition, through memorization, through practice, through meditating, through listening, learning, and as we do, it will help us deal with our problems in a way that honors God. Thirdly, if you keep God's word as a priority in your life, it will help you keep your other priorities straight. Jesus said this, verse 14, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. 
But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So these people, they hear God's word, they, they seem to be excited about it, they accept it, but over a period of time, something happens. Other things come into their life and begin to move higher on the priority chain. And God's word and the relationship with Christ begins to go lower. You know, things, not bad things, but things such as, hey, the retirement nest egg or, or a career advancement or, or a nice home or or relationship, or sports, or whatever. Those things can come in, and all of a sudden, God's word begins to slip on the priority list. And it gets crowded out. Here's an interesting statistic I, I read the other day. According to Barna, the Barna Research Group, only four out of ten people who claim to be Christian also claim they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. And let me tell you, if you're not absolutely committed to your faith in Christ then you're going to miss out on the fullness and the experience of the abundant life that Jesus came to give. That's just how it works. You know, when I was in Turkey, as I mentioned, it was such a joy for me to, to meet with some of the people that Colin and Connie are working with. They work primarily with, with refugees from Iran and from Afghanistan, people who, have been, who don't really have a home country. They can't go back. Uh, they're often uh, not allowed into other countries because of their nation of origin. And so they're kind of stuck. And, uh, and yet it really was amazing to see the faith that they had uh, and the commitment they had, even though it cost them a lot to do so. One in particular, I think of Ali Reza. I think there was a picture of Ali. Uh, and Colin introduced me to him, and we spent about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, the three of us talking. And as I often do, I, I'll begin with, hey, tell me, you, you, you come from a Muslim country, a Muslim background. How did you come to faith in Christ? And he told this amazing story, uh, and uh, he was married, living in Austria, and uh, a lady, come, the older lady, came to his house, his apartment. His apartment came to her door, his door, knocked on it, offered him a Bible. He slammed the door in her face. No, I'm not interested. You know, I don't believe in Christ or Jesus. I, you know, I'm a Muslim. You know. A couple of days later, a man comes to his door. The same scenario. He slams the door in his face. And he's getting kind of annoyed by this. And so he begins to talk to his neighbors in the apartment complex. Hey, we've got to do something about this. Nobody else had the same experience. He's like, that's weird. They move back to Iran and they have a, a little boy, baby boy. And then he begins to have these dreams. And every night it's the same exact dream. No variation, which is freaking him out, you know. And in the dream, Jesus comes to him. And he's, it just, he wakes up kind of disturbed by this. He talks to his imam. He says, don't worry about it. It's kind of, but he just, he's just freaked out. It's the same exact dream where Jesus comes to him. And then the dream, a dream he has a different dream one night. This dream, he, he's kneeling down, his hands are raised, and he's, and he's, I guess, praying to Jesus. And he's like, what? And then a while later, his, his son, who's a month old, becomes deathly ill, high fevers in the hospital. The doctors try everything. Nothing is working. They begin to prepare the family for the worst. Everybody leaves, but he stays behind. And he remembers his dream. So he kneels down and he raises his hands and he prays to Jesus. The fever goes away. His son's healed. His family comes back. His, his wife and the in-laws come back. And, and what, did, what did the doctor do? Well, they didn't do anything. He, I, I, I had this dream. I, I prayed like in the dream and he's healed. And now I believe in Jesus, which didn't go over well with them. His, his father-in-law, in fact, through his 
his grandson to the street when they brought him home. He's unclean. He's evil. And his wife ended up divorcing him. Uh, and he, he and his son had to leave the country. Uh, his son's now 10 years old and he's fine. He's healthy. But it was incredible talking with him because, uh, you know, when, when Colin will meet with him and they study the Bible together and, and, and he's just is so excited and so hungry and passionate about God's word. He, he, he just he can't wait to come home and open it up and study it and talk with Colin or other people about it. He's just he, he is so alive to him. And, you know, it kind of took me kind of took, called me up short, you know, like I. I study God's word for a living. It's my vocation, my calling. I, you know, I, I'm, I try to be a person of the word. And yet his passion is so deep and so strong. It really challenged me. You know, it should challenge all of us, really. Um, uh, he really knows what's most important, his relationship with Christ. And he knows that relationship will thrive as he is centered in God's word. And he's so excited to learn about it and to grow through it. You know, we're called to do the same, to have our relationship with Christ in first place, based in hearing and obeying and knowing his word. You know, Stephen Covey, who was the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, shares a famous illustration in which there's a seminar leader, there's a big glass jar with a wide mouth, and the guy begins by putting all these rocks in until it's full. Remember this? And he says, is it full? And people say yes. And he says, no. He pours in sand. Fills in the cracks. Is it full? Maybe. And he pours in water so he can get more in there. And he gets done. He asks, what's the point of this illustration? And one guy said, well, there are gaps. If we really work at it, we can always fit more into our lives. And he says, no, that's what we try to do. He says, no, that's not the point. The point is, if I had not put those big rocks in first, I never would have gotten them in. Make sure you do the big stuff First, the word of God is the big rock. It's the foundation upon which everything else is to be built. And if you keep it as your top priority, it will help everything else fall into place. Your other priorities will be in their proper place. Finally, if we live according to God's word, it will produce a harvest of spiritual fruit in our lives. Jesus said this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it. And by persevering, persevering, that's a big thing, by persevering, produce a crop. There's a great book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's that idea. You pursue God, you pursue his word, you obey for a long time in the same direction. And as you do so, you'll produce fruit. You persevere. So that's my challenge for us today is to keep God's word at the center of our lives as individuals, to keep God's word at the center of who we are as a church. Uh, because without it, we will miss out on truly what we're called to do and what we're to be about. It is to be the center, the foundation. We are to be people of the word. Where is it written? should shape everything we do and believe and say and think. May God shape us and mold us as we receive his word with soft and supple and willing and humble hearts for his glory. Amen. Lord, we're grateful for this day. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would have soft hearts, that if things have been choking out your word in our life, that we would be aware of that and we would eliminate those things and reprioritize 
that if our heart has been hardened a little bit, that we would come to you in repentance and that you would soften our hearts and make us receptive to you. Lord, that if we uh, are a little bit fickle, uh, Lord, I would pray that we would persevere and be people who really pursue you and obey you in the same direction for a long time, that we would persevere in our hearing, our receiving, and our applying of your word of truth, for they are spirit and they are life, and they are the words of salvation. So, Lord, we trust in you, in your name. Amen.